You're listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. The following program was recorded at the 2018 Annual Meeting for the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. Here is your host, Alicia Sutton. So we're broadcasting from the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions in Orlando at the Annual Meeting. And my guest is going to talk to us a little bit about pulling up from the bootstraps and having a CPT response to a public health problem with zero budget. So I'd like to hear about that. Please introduce yourself to us. Thank you for interviewing me. My name is Dr. Camille Fung. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Utah, particularly in the Division of Neonatology. I also have a collaboration with the Utah Department of Health. Great. So we're all living in the time of do more with less, but you take it to a whole other level with a zero budget. Tell me about the project, you know, give me the lay of the land of the clinical issue that you were looking to address. So as many of you know, the opioid epidemic is really skyrocketed in the United States. And because of the need for better opioid education for prescribers, this is sort of the impetus of why we decided to do this to begin with. The problem with a lot of education that is currently available only targets ambulatory adult patients. As a neonatologist who take care of women and newborn, when a call for education came out by the Utah legislature in 2011, we saw two great areas of public health problems that were being ignored. One was with pregnant women, and the other one would be their newborns. So again, back in the year of 2011, the Utah legislature came out with a mandate that all prescribers who are eligible to prescribe opioids should get four hours of education. And this occurs at the time of their license renewal. What the Utah legislature came up with is that we have to have this four hours and it has to follow the FDA blueprint, which again, targeting mostly outpatient ambulatory adult patients. However, if you look at the opioid epidemic, according to the CDC, Utah is one of the states that actually has the highest prescription Mm. per person in the United States. And so that's one problem. The second problem is that Utah women actually has the highest opioid overdose and deaths. Oh, my. Yeah. So as a neonatologist, we actually treat a lot of babies who are born addicted to opioids, Mm. a a public health crisis that is termed neonatal abstinence syndrome. Again, because a lot of women are dying and a lot of women, including pregnant women, are afflicted with this opioid epidemic, it became imperative to us that we must include education, not just targeting outpatient ambulatory adults, but also including women, particularly pregnant women, and to raise the awareness of neonatal abstinence syndrome within our state. Absolutely. It sounds like kind of a a perfect example of going right into the niche of a health issue that was being missed. So any challenges in how you wanted to approach hitting that very target audience and the patient population in there? Can you talk about some of those challenges you faced? Yeah, so because we had some guidance on to what was required of the four-hour education, and because the FDA blueprint actually came out with what needed to be covered, we thought we needed to go beyond that. We needed to expand our education to include pregnant women and newborns. 
And so actually back in 2012 at this meeting was when there's a group called the CORE. It stands for a Collaboration for REMS Education. And so this group actually came up with a two-hour core slide deck that we were able to use as a two-hour core education, and then we thought we would spend another one and a half hours to target pregnant women and children. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, and so because we didn't have a curriculum for the pregnant women and children, we ended up really just asked around to see if anybody at the University of Utah would be interested in helping us create this curriculum. That sounds like your first approach to a zero budget, doesn't it, is seeking the volunteers. Yeah. And And how was the response to that request? Fortunately, because I think our maternal fetal medicine, so our obstetric colleagues were also very interested in this topic. We were able to solicit Dr. Andres, who is in the Division of Maternal Fetal Medicine, and he was really charged to tackle the slides for opioid prescription for pregnant women. And then myself and two other colleagues within our division, we came up with the slides for neonatal abstinence syndrome to target the newborn population. So was this education delivered in a closed circuit in the physicians, nurses, and PCPAs in your hospital setting or in your academic setting? Yeah, so we started out really just targeting (laughs) a small group of people. We essentially were looking at mostly people internal of the university. So we only wanted to produce an education that people could just come to these scheduled meetings. And really, it just started out with one meeting in March and one meeting in June. That was what we started out with the process. But then as we continued this process, we realized that we needed to reach other people who couldn't come to our live courses. So that meant we probably had to get it filmed and videotaped and then put it on a website where outside people could get access. Right. Is that something you've done already or you're pending, doing it into an enduring? No, we've actually transitioned already into an enduring Mm -hmm. um, internet material and have actually vastly expanded that since. That's terrific. So what are you seeing from an outcomes perspective in terms of learning or change in practice performance and maybe even on the patient level? Yeah, so the uh, what I call version 1.0, so the very first course that we rolled out, we educated a little over a 1,000 people, including physicians and physicians, both trainees and already faculty members. We educated mid-level providers and had wanted to target dentists, too, because they are actually included as part of the opioid prescribers. Right. But the first version, because of its internal approach, it didn't have a reach for outsiders. That's still a significant number. Yeah, but this the second version that we have rolled out since, it's, it's definitely reaching a lot of people in the state of Utah. Excellent. Any, has it been enough time to gather some outcomes data to see what the learning is on this? Yeah, so I, even the with the first version, I would say um, the evaluations that we got after the immediately after the course, most of them were positive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of them were not as positive, and I think it became clear to us that we needed to plan this out a little bit more, which we have done since with the second version. We were in a little bit of a time crunch with the first version because of how there was just less time between when we heard that we needed to get this done to when the core curriculum was actually approved by DOPL, which is the Division of Occupation Professional Licensing. 
there was just some some hurdles that we had to cross. Right. So we only had a very small amount of time to get the curriculum approved and get it rolled out. So we've learned some lessons since then. All right. Uh, well, always there's always logistics in, yeah. in everything. But what are some areas of sort of pearls that you could give to other educators on any level when thinking about how do I go about something on such a limited budget, or your case really was a zero budget, but any pearls to take away from and give some advice to educators? Yeah, I think there are many pearls and many lessons that we have learned from this course. First of all is don't be afraid to ask your colleagues for help. I think being in an academic institution, everybody has a component of education in their mind. And so reaching out to your friends and colleagues is a kind of a free way to to get this done. And also, even though as you're moving along, you're only tackling small steps at a time, but think larger as you go. For example, we initially just thought we would, you know, we would do it in a classroom setting. But then the classroom setting, on the next time we did a live course, it became, we did it in an auditorium, and an auditorium where we could actually film that, almost like a Grand Rounds, and then sure. we had satellite sites where other people can sit in other rooms and actually That's watch great. the live course. Right. And then the sort of the bigger reach was the videotaping for an internet enduring material. Right. Oh, it sounds so. like you had a lot of very willing participants. Yes. Um, you know, in the value chain across all of this. So that's terrific. Yeah, and I think um, you just have to ask. Just don't be afraid to ask because even the first time we put it on as an internet enduring material, we only hosted it even within our learning management system at the University of Utah. So it was a, a small internet production, and then now it's even gone statewide. That's terrific. That's terrific. Well, thank you for sharing these thoughts with us. We really appreciate it and look forward to hearing more out of your group and other ways that you are helping to educate clinicians on a small budget or a no budget. But thank you for joining us. Thank you. So we've been broadcasting from the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions at their annual meeting, and we will see you again soon. Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. Featuring key insights from the Alliance's 2018 annual meeting. To download this podcast and others in this series, please visit reachmd.com slash lifelong learning.